0: Welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights, where this episode will be celebrating the successes of new product paysetters. And today I'm joined again by Larry Levin, Executive Vice President of Market and Shopper Intelligence here at IRI, and with whom I partner on new product paysetters. Um, this is always a fun treat because it's an, our big annual report that we do together. I know we work together on a lot of things, but this is a widely anticipated report that we do every year, and in fact, this is Larry's eleventh year with Paysetters and mine third. So, hello, Larry.
1: Hello, Joan. Great to uh, be here. And um, it is important to me that we frame this as a partnership because it really is a partnership. And I'm honored to uh, share the byline with you each year, and it's it's a lot of fun. It is hard to believe it's eleven years and. This year, I think, was probably the most anticipated pace setter that I can remember. And also, I actually beam with with pride on the fact that so many of our clients celebrated their pace setters this year, and more than I ever remembered. I know we could probably touch a little bit upon that later on as we talk about some of the winners, but I really was taken by the amount of clients who celebrated their own successes.
0: You know, you you mentioned that this is a partnership, Larry, and you're right. We are supported tremendously by colleagues, Claudia Burgos, Ryan Stredney, Wendy Solomon. Um, it wouldn't be a beautiful presentation without Amy Smith. So you are absolutely right to call those folks out. And I think that what's interesting about the companies who are celebrating their success and making it to the pay setter list, this is not a subjective um, vote that we cast for new product pay setters. These are companies that have earned their way onto this list.
1: Well, I would so, say it's a subjective vote because the consumer voted. Oh. The consumer brought his or her dollars. And that's what we look at is where, where did the dollars come from? And so in that way, I would say it's a subjective vote. <laughs> it's the vote of the U.S. consumer and the products that he or she is buying to celebrate or uh, protect. Yep. Defend. And,
0: and you know that's interesting because one of the questions that I've gotten on the 2020 pace setters, which is what we're talking about, is were they truly meaningful and sustainable winners, or were they just lucky to have launched at a time when the pandemic drove so much demand? And I happen to think that you have to be. It has to be meaningful and sustainable. And these companies worked very hard to cut through a lot of noise um, to make their way to consumers.
1: Right. I, I agree with you. And, uh, and I think a lot of the success of the, the products that were anointed new product pace setters this past year are, are already on second year successful journeys. I think about Bud Light Seltzer, our crowning jewel of this year's pace setters, and you know, we know from conversations with ABI about its success, another one that we know is on a strong continued ramp is Starbucks Screamers. So I think that it's it could be a little bit of the timing of COVID-19 that drove some successes, but these companies are not sitting back and resting on their laurels. They're thinking about the longer term opportunities and inspirations that help to make these innovations long lasting and not flashes in the pan.
0: So let's set the the stage a little bit. Everybody knows that the pandemic happened, but why don't you kind of lay it out for us um, in terms of how these pace setters, you know, what we're looking at and what happened between 2019 and
1: 2020? Sure. Well, I think first and foremost, we have to always ground people on how products become new product pace setters, become evaluated for new product pace setters. And it's a methodology that a lot of people, find very complex. If you live it day to day, it's not that complex, but think about every product has to hit 30% distribution. We really believe in having a product that's got national legs. If a product is not at 30% distribution, it's just not going to have the mass that are, is necessary in order to become something that will get on our pace set radar. Now, it's not to say that certain products that are regional and are you know, at it, it high levels of distribution within their region are not important, but we are really looking for national product launches. So we're looking at 30% distribution. When a product hits 30%, we look at the next 13 quad periods. And each product that became a new product pacesetter has a commonality that it started effectively in 2019 and ended sometime in 2020. And interestingly, more than 25% of our new product paysetters launched in the fourth quarter of 2019 or the first month of 2020 because our our dates actually straddle into early January for pacesetters. So a significant portion of our new product paysetters this year, including our number one on food and beverage and our number one on non-food, actually started in the height of... COVID, if you will, because they came to market in early January, but we closed down the country effectively March 13th of 2020. So a number of products, including Downey Infusions and Bud Light Seltzer, had to pivot and reassess marketing opportunities, particularly products that rely heavily on out-of-home consumption. They had had to change their, their strategies in order to make it. So Every product must have 13 quad periods. The other thing that we require is that a product cannot lose its steam in terms of dropping below 30% in the middle of its inception. So we're really looking for products that have a quote unquote sustainable ACV performance. And to that point too, I think getting the right ACV is really critical. I, I, a while ago termed it the concept of it's not about perfect distribution but being distributed perfectly. and we found that the average new product pay this past year, while they have to start in the 30s because of our methodology so it's sort of a self-imposed bias for a starting line. but the end point at the end of 12 at the end of 13 quads was just under 60 percent even for big companies it was just a little over 60%. So this notion of being in front of all people all the time is really not what's been happening in CPG innovation. And in fact, I had an email yesterday um, from one of our clients wondering about whether or not we should be looking at 70 plus percent innovation numbers, uh, distribution numbers for innovation. And they felt, no, we shouldn't, not knowing that we had done an analysis again, about what the average ACVs are for launches. And it actually helped that innovation team at this particular client settle a battle with the board, if you will, about what the what the right distribution should be. So it's all about getting it right.
0: And I know that you kind of identified that probably going back like six or seven years, that there was a little bit of a, a tipping point where some of these big companies decided they don't have to be all things to all people and that it's And particularly because we have so many more mediums that we're building relationships with consumers through that it really is, as you said, you know, the right product for the right person and communicated in the right way.
1: You know, along that same trail, though, is getting the right dollar forecast together. And one of the things that we've seen over time, and you've seen it this year and you talked about it at our webinar, is that. The you know the median launch for a new product paysetter is about 19, 20 million dollars. And it's up a little bit because we had more in-home consumption this year, and within home consumption comes in-home cleaning. So a little bit of that changed the market. But you know, the reality is that we're not we've got to get people away from this idea of 50, 70, $100 million dollar launches because. They're few and far between. They'll still happen. Mm -hmm. But consistently within Paysetters for the last seven, eight years, we have very few launches over $50 million.
0: Well, and you mentioned that you really hope that a lot of companies take this as a forecasting benchmark. Use this. Don't try and or don't assume that because you're putting X dollars into it that you're going to achieve some astronomical number, because it is hard to get there. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about are a lot of the trends that we're tracking at the outset. And what I always find so interesting in speaking with you is because over the years, you've really seen a lot of these trends, you know, wax and wane, and you can pull out examples of products that were launched 10 years ago that support some of these trends. So that's always so fascinating to me. But what you and I discovered is that some of the trends that we that you and I have been tracking for the past three years that I've been here were still very much in play, but extremely accelerated because of the pandemic. And in part, it's because of other behaviors that we noticed changed during the pandemic. And I'm gonna give you some examples of those. So we are working and working out at home during the pandemic. And even as we come out of the pandemic, People really anticipate that they're still going to be working from home far more than they did pre-pandemic. We also invested heavily in our homes, um, both in you know especially digitally. So we anticipate that a lot of the entertainment and leisure and celebrations that took place at home um, might continue. We 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 do know we're hungry to get back outside, but um, a lot of these things are have stickiness. We, and
1: I would say, too, with digital comes that impact of e-commerce and wow. how many people use their digital tools to order products. Mm-hmm. You know, Let Alexis do the work for you or let uh, Siri do the work for you and order your products to be delivered at your doorstep.
0: Which, frankly, can be detrimental to new product discovery because once a product gets on that list, it kind of tends to stick. Right. Um, but that, that shopping shift was huge. Um, we did see more people go to that one-stop shop when they could, when they were going out, but certainly e-commerce was huge. And then of course, the biggie is the actual consumption at home. And I know that you and Chris Dubois identified 33 million additional meal occasions um, during 2020. So while we're coming back a little bit, Everything. The demand is still higher than twenty nineteen. The meals consumed at home is still higher. We have a whole new generation of cooks out there. So these are products that are really going to play into some of those themes that that we had identified before. the The big in surge in premium and indulgent products. Um, convenience is still really big. Health and wellness certainly during the pandemic because everyone wanted to, you know. Support their wellness as best they could and sustainability, which we were kind of worried was going to go away as a um, purchase influencer, and it did not. And I know that you're doing a lot of work with NYU's Center for Sustainable Business. Um, I think we can anticipate a webinar from you maybe later this summer with some updates on that. But sustainability or sustainably marketed products are really driving well more than half the growth of um, CPG products in the categories that we tracked.
1: Yeah. And and when you think about the importance of sustainability to millennials in particular and Gen Z coming right behind them, I know you guys did a lot of work with uh, our partners around what Gen Z want. And we think a product like native, which was one of our top pay setters from PNG really answers the bell on what millennials want because it, it became a very, very clean label. Uh, the ingredients were easy to follow. And I believe part of its positioning was to be uh, neither for men or for women, but for anybody. Yep. And, and I really liked that flow. And in fact, I know I shared with you recently, not that this would ever be a new product pace setter, but it is a pace setter idea that the San Francisco 49ers recently launched a whole line of gender-neutral clothes, clothing. Mm-hmm. Here's a 49er shirt that can be for a guy, could be for a woman. It's not going to be for me because I'm not a 49er fan <laughs> living in Los Angeles. That's like the last thing you'd be caught wearing. But um, but, but seriously, I think it's really important that more and more products are being made for to encompass everyone. Mm-hmm. And that really worked well with native. And and it's interesting that I say that because I also say can't be all things to all people, but you have to figure out how your product innovation can feel like it is for everybody. And it's, um, it's not that it's cherry picking here or cherry picking there.
0: Well, native does have that feel of a smaller brand. You know, it's, I don't think people really recognize that it, it's coming from PNG, as yep. you mentioned, very clean packaging um, gender neutral packaging, um, but they're also going plastic free by 23, which is very important, as you mentioned particularly to younger um, generations. Um, so there are there are definitely um, things at play. It's not all things to all people, but at least they're speaking to the audience that they know are starting their shopping journey. And I think that's important too, is making it easier for consumers to find the product and to align with your product and have the mission of the brand support you know the, the shopper's personal beliefs and mission. So some of that social and sustainable um, are definitely going to be important innovation triggers moving forward. But I wanted to talk about a lot of what drove some of these products and what I thought was kind of interesting. So we talked about a lot of the meals being made in home, but we didn't see convenience go away. And we saw a lot of things like the DiGiorno Stromboli, Stouffer's Bowlfuls. Um, I thought the Smithfield Prime Delicatessen Meats was really interesting because for a while, some in-store delis were shut down. And then some of the delis were packaging um, luncheon meats and cheeses and stuff just for grab and go. But here, this Smithfield product kind of came in and people didn't have to worry about that, you know, waiting in line and just kind of grabbing and going a little bit of a cleaner label. Um, So I thought that was interesting.
1: And it it also plays into pro quality. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the things that you and I and actually Sue via Mary and I discovered years ago was this whole pro do it, do it at home. And it works both on the food and beverage side and the non-food side. But really, Smithfield Deli gives you that feel. Of uh, of what you'd get at the butcher counter. The other thing that I think is really important is the transparency of that packaging. You know, you talk about sustainability as an asset. Being able to see the product through the whole package is really, really important. And that Smithfield package that in a very transparent uh, meat you know meat case, uh, meat pack. So I think that that answers another bell.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really
1: important to consumers.
0: Yeah. And then on the other side of it, you know, people were doing a lot more scratch cooking, baking and stuff at home. So there was a lot more mess to clean up. And some of the products that I, well, two products that I thought were really interesting. We had two paper towel products in the top 10. We had both the Viva multi-service cloths and the Brawny Terra Square. And that to me, you know, obviously so much more consumption in home, but I thought having two paper towels in the top. And the top pay setters was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a while that we've had that. The other thing that was really interesting is whether it was by design or not, there wasn't a lot of advertising support behind them. And obviously, the way people were looking for paper towels wherever they could find it, advertising was really not necessary. It was, if you have it, I'm buying it.
0: Yeah, and there were some other like cleaning products that were out there. You know, um, the Mr. Clean Clean Freak did very well. Um, There were a lot of other household cleaning products, laundry products. Laundry products are always big on the pay setter list, but this year, for whatever reason, there were so many with scent as a a driving factor. Scent, and again, that pro-quality. Tide, heavy-duty 10X. So again, that kind of pro-quality, there was also...
1: It's not just the pro-quality, it's also... Paying homage to the fact that there were a lot more loads that were being done. So heavy duty became really important.
0: Right. And the the personal pro clean discs, same, same type thing. Again, lots of laundry and lots of set- We also
1: remember that these innovations were in the minds of these creative people way before COVID. So they still saw the need to bring some of these opportunities to the market. And COVID just accelerated the opportunity for them to be successful.
0: Okay. But, yeah. Okay. And there's you're gonna tell this story for sure. Yeah. But here's a product that came out before the pandemic, and that is the Starbucks Creamers. So to me, that was right time, right place. But we also heard the full story. So you tell that story.
1: Yeah, not just right time, right place, uh, but just imagine a 9 month incubation where one day somebody came into our destiny beverage and said hey let's develop a starbucks creamer for our lineup and from the idea to being on a shelf was a 9 month 9 month period just mm-hmm. amazing when you think about how many companies have long had stage gate processes that we we're going to develop. We're going to test. We're going to learn, We're going to test again. We're going to put the product out there. We're going to test. We're going to learn. And the process could take two and a half, three years. They did this in nine months from the time Daniel Young and uh, Jason Meredith uh, got their ideas on paper to the market. It's incredible. And, and not only was it our number four pace center, but, Starbucks creamers became the number one selling creamer innovation that we've ever tracked in new product pay setters in 26 years of doing this. And it was interesting because as you know, John, I've done a lot of automotive work and precision and automotive, especially in the luxury line is job one. And Starbucks to me acts like a premium car company and Starbucks has an image and aura that consumers expect that they learned in the cafe and they, and Nestle went out of its way to make sure that that experience was quote unquote portable from the cafe to the home experience, everything from crafting the bottle to the, to the logo, to the look and feel, to the flavor lineup emulated the experience that a Starbucks consumer expects. And in talking to some of the folks at Nestle, we learned that the product, not just, it didn't just do well, but it inspired people to cream their coffee among consumers who normally wouldn't cream their coffee. And I love to look at trial and repeat. And the trial numbers were great. The repeat numbers were off the charts. I think that when last we looked, 50% of people who had bought it, bought it again. And of the people who bought it again, more than a third we're buying it at least five times. You talk about the foundation for success and that's that enables that kind of success enables future development and we know that Starbucks has been looking at a plant-based version for some of its creamers and and it's just talk about being on trend that product is on trend.
0: yeah very much That
1: product delivers an experience that's so important. You talked about pro quality this this is the hallmark of pro quality.
0: It also speaks to all those people who made meals and stuff at home. And a lot of people are brewing their coffee at home. And now, with products like Starbucks Creamers, they can say, you know what, I can still have that coffee shop experience, that premium experience, and I can do it myself. So I think that that's, I think that a lot of people are going to continue to brew their coffee at home.
1: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it.
0: Now, beverages overall were a huge theme last year. And they're, and they, Are looking on trend for 2021 as well, but a lot of beverage alcohol and the beverage alcohol sales were astronomical. And that's because so many places were shut down. We couldn't go to bars and restaurants during the pandemic. So a lot of the consumption, you know, the party came home and we had, as you mentioned, Bud Light Seltzer, our number one, but we had Truly Lemonade coming right behind it. We had a lot of other, um, spirit brands, mostly in the beer and seltzer with things like natural light seltzer, natural light matter days. Um, so there's a couple different, but there were so many drinks, so many beverages, particularly, I think, was it nine of 10 in the convenience channel or right. all drinks?
1: Yeah. So I, I think
0: stories there too. You
1: know, beverage innovation has always been a critical part of Pace Setters, but it's more than I've ever seen. I think we had 27 beverages this year that were setters and we had eight in BWS, like you said, Beer, Wine and Spirits. What's interesting is that normally we might only have two or three Bev alcohol winners within setters in a given year. Sometimes we would go with one or two and they would hit to eight, $10 million. You know, we saw off-the-charts performance by Bud Light Seltzer, as we all know, like you mentioned, Truly. And I think it's interesting to just look at Bud Light Seltzer and Truly Lemonade uh, because Truly spent about $2 million in advertising to drive the number two spot, which I think generated upwards of one hundred and ninety million million in sales, yep. $191 in sales. Yep. For almost the same amount of dollars, one hundred ninety-three point seven within the within Mulo, if you will, Mm -hmm. Bud Light Seltzer. Pardon? Yeah, multi outlet. Uh, Bud Light Seltzer spent about seventy-three million dollars in advertising. Now, when you add in what it did in convenience, is the number three in the convenience channel, and it it popped down another one hundred and sixty-seven million in sales. You've got two unique strategies. We're truly probably relied very heavily on a on a digital campaign and word of mouth and experience. Bud Light Seltzer leveraged the Bud Light franchises, our partners at ABI like to call it, um, you know, a a fun brand across the whole spectrum, but put together a typical marketing campaign of 73 million, which obviously had to pivot right after the Post Malone commercials that were aired at the Super Bowl. And six weeks later, we're into COVID. And as we know from talking to some of the people over at ABI, that uh, creating partnerships with Drizzly and Instacart and others became an important element to get the success because they didn't have that ability to leverage out-of-home experiences, as you said, because this became an in-home way to celebrate.
0: They did a remarkable job. I mean, they went from Thinking that they were going to do a lot of on-premise testing and some live events, um, live event sponsorship to being virtual events. They even hosted a three-day three-day esports tournament. Um, they still had concerts with Post Malone, but they were all virtual. As you said, they found new ways of getting product into consumers' hands and virtual ways of bringing fans together. It was it was genius. Um, you know, another, okay, another what the,
1: the, the thing that they did too the the CMO meme.
0: Yeah, the chief meme officer. They had a hunt on for the chief meme officer, a role, a real role that they were seeking to fill. But that's because they understand who their audience is. You know, that for Bud Light Seltzer, it's a younger audience who's very much engaged um, on social media and made the change with them to virtual entertainment. So very, very, I just love the agility of such a huge company. And it's not alone. You know, Mountain Dew um, Zero Sugar was another one that launched a, you know, great uh, launched with a really crazy Brian Cranston commercial during the Super Bowl and then had to pivot dramatically. Normally that product would have sold um, through convenience channel, but the convenience channel was so down during the pandemic so they rethought their marketing they went back to the gremlins movie franchise of the 1980s where the kid who starred in the gremlins movie is now a dad of a teenager and the dad is still hanging out with his gremlin but the tagline for mountain dew zero sugar is still the same as the spoof from the shining with Brian Cranston as good as the original maybe better but a much different at home make the most of it vibe they changed packaging they they put in a lot more multi-packs. They went through the big chains, um, grocery, mass. Again, a tremendous, tremendous pivot for such a large company. And that's not what they originally planned. So again, I just marvel at the agility of some of these big companies. So well done.
1: What I, what I also love is you take a product like Cheetos. And what, what I really love is companies that are inspired to see how far they can extend a brand. And it's interesting when you think about Cheetos going into popcorn. And it's just really, really fascinating to see that companies like Frito are willing to take the equity and extend it into new categories. I think about the days where Special K was a regular in our new product pay centers because Kellogg was able to extend that brand as far as people to allow it. And I think at some point we probably had 10 out of 13 categories with special K as, as a, as a leader. Yeah. But, well, look
0: What Dove has done over the years too. I mean, yep. there's a lot of non-food um, examples, Yep. you know, too. So I think that that adjacency, looking to adjacencies is a great place to go um for innovation. You know, before we kind of uh, start to wrap up, there's another area that I really wanted to talk about, because I wonder how it's going to do in the coming year. And that was that we had a lot of ice creams and frozen treats. And I know you've got a couple stories there, but there were eight um, frozen treats in new product pace setters this year, which again, we were, we were a down bunch and there's nothing like a, you know, a little pint of ice cream or something that for a pick me up, but what do you think? Do you think that that's sustainable?
1: I think that every year we have a couple of frozen novelties. This year, Rebel Ice Cream, I think, led the led the pack. It's our number five pace setter. Uh, but as you said, we had about eight. I think the momentum is melting. I think a lot of the excitement we had around ice cream, as you said, was really driven by the pandemic. And we were home more. And that was just part of... The thirty-one meal, thirty-one million meal occasions that Chris and I talked about at a, at another conference recently, but I think what is important is indulgence that's on trend. And you take a product like Rebel, and and Rebel played the whole keto diet. And I know my dear friend and partner Sally Lyons Wyatt talks regularly about the impact of how America eats, and the keto diet is a big part of what Sally talks about, but. Here we had another paysetter that amassed over $90 million, and it's the first one that ever used a Kickstarter campaign to get going. You talk about a groundswell, and oftentimes we think innovation only happens in the boardroom, but I've been saying for a long time, you've been saying for a long time, innovation can happen in the basement, it can happen in the boardroom. Two years ago, our paysetters had three come out of Shark Tank. Now we've got one coming out of a Kickstarter campaign. Innovations for everyone. And I think one of the things that plays on that is the fact that again, about half of our new product innovations came from small to extra small companies. Mm -hmm. And so you really have got to look across all types of manufacturers to have, that they all can have creative ideas to inspire. You know, as far as ice cream in the future, you know, obviously we will continue to see frozen novelties, but I just don't think we're going to see upwards of eight for quite a while. Well, but Rebel's another example of small companies that can do it, just like Halo Top did it a couple of years ago.
0: Right. So as we wrap up, I do want to point out some of the innovation um, opportunities that we see. And indulgence is one of them. And I think that Rebel is an example because it's a permissible indulgence. You know, it really speaks to a set um, consumer group who are very focused on their overall wellness and they don't want to stray from that. So it's it's a, a nice lifestyle um, indulgence. And I do think that you know premium products have done very well throughout the pandemic. We might see a little bump in the road because of inflation. But a lot of people traded up. I think premium is going to be another thing that sticks with us. I think yeah, that- you, know, it's
1: interesting you talk about premium trending up because we saw it across a lot of different demographic sub uh, groups as well. A lot of the work that you and KK do, KK Devay, our head of uh, strategic analytics uh, suggested that even lower income people were trading up to premium products. Absolutely. So they were bringing experiences home.
0: Yeah. And um, again, so, before I finish up with a couple of these other things, I do want to remind people that the new product pace setters um, are our list of the top 100 food and beverage and the top 100 non-food are both on our website, iriworldwide.com. You can see the full report. Um, you can see a link to a webinar that Larry and I did. Um, so plenty of information out there. We hope that you'll take advantage of it, but the other um, kind of top trends that we're still watching are in um, both self-care and societal care. Maybe sustainability is a better word for that. Um, we've taken a lot more control over our health and wellness this past year, and I think that's going to be a behavior that sticks. I think that you think about all the ways that we've changed our behaviors from physical fitness to caring for our skin and our bodies, um, our diet, there's just so many different opportunities to play in that. We have 6.6 average wellness goals per person. So think about all the ways that we can address some of those things. Certainly sustainable, sustainability, um, renewable, refillable packaging. I think that water, Larry, I think water conservation is going to become more important as a marketing strategy and maybe kind of tied in with the end product where the consumer is the one adding the water. Um, I think that's you know, it's enough.
1: Interesting. Interesting you talk about that because I think it's an important area, but it's also going to take some digital education, I think, for the company to tell the people how to make the optimum product. Because what I would be disappointed in is if I've got to bring if I have to add my own water, but all of a sudden the product's not meeting my expectations, maybe because I didn't add enough water, I added too much water. I think it's going to take a little bit of education on the part of the manufacturers to help me make the optimal product because if I've got to add my own water, I, you know, I, I want to make sure the product doesn't disappoint only because I didn't do something wrong.
0: Right. But I think that there've been a lot, particularly with self-care products, you know, think about all the, the teeth whitening and the, the skin care, you know, that takes a little bit of education too. And if it's yep. important to you, and if it supports some of those sustainability initiatives that people are trying to do, um, I think it'll work. Think about it. Think about how much waste we're now aware of that we're generating because we've all been at home. You know, everybody seems to talk about like, wow, I had no idea how much we're going through. Right. So, um, and last but not least, I don't want to miss out on convenience because convenience that is essential. I do think that at um, retail, retailers will kind of come back with their own solutions, but there's so many ways for brands to play in in terms of convenience. And think about all the new kitchen appliances that we purchased over the past year, things like air fryers and instant pots. What about different products that serve or that go into those? You know, make it easy for consumers. Kind of curate for them, um, help them put their meals together.
1: Right. So, the convenience, as you said, is going to be important. Is as more and more people go back to the office. You know, convenience played an important role because I'm making more meals at home. But it's also going to play an important role because when I get home, I don't have as much time to prepare a, a meal like I did during the pandemic. Oh, so. Sure convenience is going to be an important role to just enable me to make a dinner in 25 minutes.
0: Yep. Busy families, busy individuals. You got it. Yep. So with that, I want to thank you again. Um, always such a joy and let's do it again soon.
1: Always love doing it, Joan, and uh, have a great day. And I'm sure I will talk to you again in a couple minutes.
0: minutes. <laughs> Bye. <Bye-bye. laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.